Hey guys, welcome back to our podcast. Hello. Today it's just me, Michelle, and Bridget. Hi. Seamus is here in spirit. Yeah. Um, today we were going to talk about how to choose the best dog for you, whether that's um, from a breeder or from like a rescue organization. Um, and so I would say to me, the first step in choosing a good dog for you is definitely being very purposeful about like what you, what do you want your life to look like with a dog? Mm-hmm. Figuring out like what your intentions are as far as like activities you like to do, what does your lifestyle look like, and really being mindful of picking a breed um, or a personality that's going to fit within those guidelines because the worst thing that can happen is that your needs and lifestyle clash with the needs and lifestyle of the dog that you want to get. Um, it is, breed traits are very real. And so you, you, it's, it's very important that you're taking that into consideration when you're searching for a dog that you want. Energy level, um, instinctual behaviors that they might have, all of those things. I know that with my dogs, like, the dogs that I've chosen, I have gotten for a specific purpose of what I wanted to add to my own life. Um, it sounds selfish to look at it in that way of like, I'm getting a dog for me. Um, but I think that people really do need to look at it that way because if you go into it, like I'm getting the dog for the sake of that dog, um, you're going to have to adjust your entire lifestyle (laughs) to change, to fit maybe what that specific dog wants. And some people are capable of doing that and maintaining that long-term, but I would say most people that's not realistic. Um, And so by prioritizing what I want from a dog and what I want my lifestyle to be like with that dog, I think in turn, the dog is actually benefiting far more because I'm a good fit for that dog Mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important to look at how active you are too. And Mm -hmm. if you're feeling like you're not a very active person, um, currently you probably don't want to get a really active breed. No, some people will get dog breeds for, to fit the person they aspire to be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not the person they actually are. Like I've, I've heard a lot of like, Oh, I got a border collie or a Husky or an Australian shepherd because I need to run more or I need to exercise more or I need to do this or do that. And while yes, there is something to be said for like dogs, certainly improving like your mental health and your physical health because they have needs. I think it's unfair to the dog and slightly unrealistic that you're putting all of the change of your personal growth (laughs) in the hands of like hoping that dog forces you to do it. Yeah. Just like buying a gym membership and being like, because I bought this membership, I'm going to go. (laughs) Yeah. And then... It's like winter and the dog's like, can you walk me? And yes. the person's like, no. Yeah. And then they tear up their whole house and like <laughs> start a fire. And they're like, what the hell? Why did this happen? Why is he acting like this? I'm just baffled. Like, Utterly baffled. He's doing it out of spite. Yeah. He hates me. Yeah. That's a big one. It's like, no, he just is unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. Unfulfilled. Um, 
And there's a million different avenues to go about getting a dog. Like we said, I think your first step is tons of research. Mm -hmm. If you think you want a specific dog breed, have you ever met any of those dog breeds in person? Have you actually interacted with them, experienced what it's like? Do you Have you talked to people that own them, talked about realistically what that lifestyle looks like? Um, you don't want to be getting a dog with like just winging it. just figuring it out along the way um especially especially like a lot of the really intriguing like power breeds you know like corsos yeah like this the the scary dog privilege like that kind of stuff like yeah you see like the really well-trained versions of those dogs and you're like oh they look so cool and i feel so safe with those dogs And then you don't see all of the like hundreds to thousands of hours of training that like goes into creating it and also like what their lifestyle looks like with that dog. Um, Like even with my Dutch Shepherd, for example, like on the surface, like you could see all of the stuff that I do with him and how he behaves and all that kind of stuff and be like, oh, I want a dog that's like that. But you don't see like the blood literal blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into (laughs) creating him to be that way. And also how strict my lifestyle is and how disciplined my lifestyle is to live with a dog of that caliber too. Um, And all of the management steps I take and things like that. So um, I think it's really important to do your research, make sure that you have experienced a little bit of life with these dogs, talked to a lot of different people. Um, And especially like when you're looking into breeds, like don't just read the good aspects of them. Like Google's really going to talk them up. They're going to tell you like, I think I looked at like the description of like a Belgian Malinois the other day and it was like loyal, trainable, athletic, smart, you know, like all these really, really great things. And what they're not going to tell you right off the bat is like, oh, psychotic, crackhead, mm-hmm. loves to bite things, will make you bleed and cry <laughs> and potentially ruin your life. Yeah. So like you, you really have to dig into like, what are the potential like things that this breed will bring into my life that will not work well mm-hmm. or won't, you know, conflict, like will be conflicting for my lifestyle that I have. Um, like if you have a very like social lifestyle where people just show up and let themselves into your house and you don't want to change that, then you probably shouldn't get a German Shepherd, a Corso, a Doberman, a Roddy. You know what I mean? You kind of need to look at those different types of things. Um, can there be exceptions to every rule? Yes. But realistically, you're not going to be that exception. Yeah. (laughs) You're probably going to be the rule. Yeah, it takes a lifestyle change, and you have to go into getting a dog um, of any sort, even if it was 70 years old. Um, And you have to think, like, my life's going to change. Like, people say a human baby changes everything. A dog changes everything, too. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to look at adjusting how early you're getting up in the morning, maybe getting up in the middle of the night to let the dog out, um, having care for that dog crate training all of the ins and outs of dogs there's so many things and if you're not prepared for that it can really throw you through the loop and you can sometimes have resentment toward the puppy you adopted or the dog that you got Mm -hmm. Uh, and that can be really hard for people I feel like oh yeah absolutely and I think when it comes to really high caliber breeds that are not good beginner dogs 
Um, either you need to already have a proven skill set to be able to raise and train that dog on your own, or you already need to be set up with proper mentorship and training before you even get that dog. Um, because with those dogs, like everything matters right from the beginning. Um, of course there's, there's, it's never too late to start training, but why would we wait till, you know, we're thrown a devastating curveball <laughs> when we can try and do everything right from the beginning. Um, just your margin for error with those, those stronger, powerful breeds is like much uh, thinner than yeah. a typical, you know, dog that's bred that doesn't have those more like intense instincts, like your golden retrievers and your labs and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that kind of the next natural progression of this conversation is like how much genetics play into things. Um, not even within creating specific like breed traits, but, um, how a genetic line in a dog determines like how true to the breed standard they actually are as far as like their temperaments, I mean, because we've seen a lot of really aggressive golden retrievers. Yeah. You know, just because you go find a golden retriever somewhere doesn't mean that you're guaranteed golden retriever behavior and traits. Um, It's really important to make sure you're doing your due diligence to make sure that you're getting a dog. If you're going to a breeder, that you're getting a dog from a very ethical, responsible breeder. Um, I mean, we can go into red flags with breeders and how to find a good one. Um, the two organizations that I think are important to reference is, I think it's called the Canine Health Information Center, CHIC. Um, it's a website that if there's a specific breed of dog that you want to get and you are choosing to go the route of trying to get it from a breeder, this website will give you, you put in the breed you're interested in, and it tells you all of the health testing that is essentially required of breeders if they're going to be like responsible. So I know for Chihuahuas, for instance, because that's the most recent dog I've gotten from a a very good breeder, it's their patellas, their knees, their eyes, and their hearts are big, common Um, health issues that chihuahuas can have. And so if a breeder is going to be breeding dogs and doing it the right way, they're going to be screening any dogs that they're breeding to make sure that they don't have a propensity to have those genetic issues that they're going to pass down to the puppies. Um, So that website is a, is a great resource to figure out like, okay, I'm interested in gold retrievers or German shepherds or Dobermans or whatever. And they'll, they'll, kind of give you guidelines on like, is, is this breeder screening for these things? Mm -hmm. Because that's really important. Um, they are connected to OFA, which is the orthopedic foundation of animals. And that's where a lot of the health uh, screenings are documented. So uh, a breeder and their kennel name should have everything public record so that you can see it. Like I could look up both the dam and the sire of my chihuahua right now and see all of the results from their health screenings. Um, if they're, if the breeder is either saying like, Oh, we have it, but somehow you can't see it. (laughs) Red flag. Uh, if your breeder is saying, Oh, we did embark testing or some kind of DNA testing. And they're using that as like a health screening. That's a red flag. Um, you should be able to see all of the health screening on public record. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So that's, I mean, that's to me the, the most important is that you're getting a healthy dog. Um, be fully prepared that I would say most well-bred dogs coming from really good breeders are like two to potentially, I mean, I, I guess it would just be minimum two grand. <laughs> I would say probably minimum two grand. Um, and even then expect a little bit more if you're going to invest in a, a really well-bred dog. And the, um, the other red flags for breeders could be that they are very secretive about like the dogs that they're breeding. They won't let you meet certain dogs that they have on site. Um, they don't have contracts for you to sign. If you're not signing a contract, that's a huge red flag. Um, the breeder should have contracts detailing health, wellness, um, health guarantees, genetic guarantees. Um, they should also have like spay and neuter uh, contracts, um, depending on what your agreement is with your breeder. They should have um, stuff in there about if you don't, if you can no longer care for the dog or keep the dog, that you are legally bound to give the dog back to them. Um, you can be sued if you don't do that type of thing. Um, really good ethical, responsible breeders are not the ones contributing to dogs in shelters. It's not happening. We'll talk about backyard breeders <laughs> and puppy mills in a second, but your really good ethical breeders are not the ones doing that because they care so, so much. I once had a client that um, their breeder um, of Airedales found out that one of her Airedales got, it ended up in a rescue like across the country. And she literally drove like 18 hours to go pick up that dog. Like they take that stuff like very, very seriously. Um, so I would say that those are some kind of basic guidelines on looking into breeders and, and things like that. Um, a lot of breeders, when you're looking into really intense breeds, if you're a novice and a beginner, they, they may not want to give you a dog. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it dependent on, that doesn't make them a bad breeder. You know, they're allowed to turn away clients. They're allowed to turn away homes that they don't think are a good fit. And again, they might have just recommendations of like, I would love to see you, you know, immerse yourself a little bit more in working with these dogs before you own one yourself, you know, different things like that. Um, it's also pretty typical that most of the time your breeder will pick your puppy for you or give you options of ones that they think are going to match your lifestyle the best. I know with my Chihuahua, I didn't really have a huge, I said I wanted a male if possible, but I still was very open. And she basically kind of picked him for me because she knew her dogs best. She knew how to read her puppies. She's been doing it a very long time. I said what I wanted from her. And honestly, I am so thrilled that I gave her the freedom to do that because he's exactly what I was looking for. Um, when it comes to like rescue and kind of looking into if you want to rescue a dog, you have far more experience in that realm than I do. So what are your thoughts on that? I have a lot of experience with rescues because I have worked at them um, in shelters in multiple states. So um, in my own development of having rescue dogs, I'm looking like if people are coming to the kennel, 
I'm looking, and I know kennel stress is a big thing, and dogs aren't very indicative of how they're going to act in the kennel when there's so much going on, but I'm going to look for, like, the psychopaths. Like, yeah. <laughs> if I walk by and this dog is jumping five feet in the air, biting the kennel bars, and just so much energy, um, maybe I'm not going to go with that dog. Depending yeah. on my lifestyle. Yeah. If I really am planning, if I'm already a runner, and I really plan to be very active with a dog that could work with proper training and management. Um, I see a lot of people make mistakes. Like you were saying, people don't, aren't necessarily prepared sometimes for the dog. So they go to the shelter, they see a German shepherd and they're like, Oh my God, I want that one. Bring them home and tear up the couch. They have a lot of issues. Um, so upon going to a rescue and picking out a dog, I'd suggest spending time with the dog. Um, ask the rescue for the dog's profile. Uh, talk to the staff, what they're experiencing with the dogs, because the volunteers and staff will know the dogs best. They spend the most time with the dog. If you can't get the dog out of their kennel, um, in like a meet and greet room, just kind of spend your time with the dog, offer some food, see how responsive it is to you. I've certainly done meet and greets where the dog has no interest in the person and meet and greets where there's definitely a connection. So depending on what you're looking for and what your needs are, pick accordingly. Um, The best thing you can do, and I'm a hypocrite here, is don't do anything impulsively. Um, Getting a dog impulsively will be your biggest nightmare. I can speak from experience and I didn't do get my dogs impulsively because I wanted them. Um, They kind of just happened upon me. Sometimes the shelter can make you feel a little bit guilty. I was going to say, do they do some guilt tripping sometimes? (laughs) Say like Bernard has been here for six years and nobody can look at him. I was going to ask, is is the length of time a dog has been there ever indicative of whether it's a good idea or not? Like, if yes. they've been there a long time, is that concerning? Should that be a red flag? It's not necessarily a red flag. They might just need a specialized adopter. So I've known hundreds of dogs that have been at shelters for a very long time. Um, I knew this dog, Geronimo. And Geronimo had been a veteran of the shelter. He's there for, like, two to three years. And his biggest issue was extremely severe humping. Mm. Uh, he was a big guy, too. So the volunteers staff would walk him and he'd grab you and he'd just start humping you and it felt like a kangaroo like yeah you could not get away so that was his biggest issue and he found somebody that was willing to work with that and she did an amazing job with him so if you're looking into long-term dogs you should have experience because there's a reason that they're there for a long time or like the ones that are like they've been returned four or five mm -hmm. times like yeah, those are the ones where it's like you probably shouldn't pick that as your first dog. Yeah. <laughs> and if people are trying to push a dog on you, that's always a red flag. Um, people should be very mindful of how you're responding to the dog. I'd go home and think about it and come back to the dog if it's been there like a year or two years. We can always have that time. Mm-hmm. So it can be quite challenging um, in the in the rescue community. A great option some shelters do is foster to adopt. Um, I was going to ask about that. So um, if a dog comes into your home and you live with it for a little bit, and they, some people require that to gauge the 
connectability in the owner's ability to handle the dog. That can be a really good option because it's like real life setting. Um, a lot of shelters do like bring the dog home for the weekend and test it out. And it's okay to kind of test drive in that sense. What dog is going to be the best for me? And if you can get the dog out of the kennel for a night, that's pretty mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Is it, um, is it pretty commonplace? Because I've, I've run into this a couple times with some friends and clients where if they return a dog because it's not a good fit for them, mm-hmm. that essentially like they're like blacklisted and they can't ever adopt another dog from that rescue again. I've had experiences with some rescues that do that. Like really? if you return a dog, not all of them are like this, but sometimes they're like blacklisted and they're not able to adopt from that facility anymore or that shelter. What do you think their intention is behind that? Like what are they hoping to accomplish? Because to me, it makes no sense. <laughs> I don't under, I've never understood yeah. that because yeah. I, I mean, what, what would you rather the people do just dump it somewhere? Yeah. Like I understand that like maybe their hope is that it discourages mm-hmm. people from returning dogs, but also I kind of feel like that comes back to the original point of like, why are we forcing mm-hmm. a lifestyle where neither the dog nor the people are ultimately yeah. going to be happy? And some shelters are good about that and they'll allow adoptions. But in my twenties, I worked at a shelter and if at any point anybody returned a dog or a cat, they were never allowed to adopt a a dog or a cat from that kennel ever again and not mm-hmm. only that is that they had a county-wide record that would show up when that person tried to adopt the dog and it would have notes on that they returned this dog really so it, it, it'd be pretty powerful wow um, not again not all shelters are like that but i think yeah. if the shelter has a policy like that should you maybe look somewhere else <laughs> Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think read your shelter or your rescue's contract and see what's expected um, in that time period that you have the dog. Some people even say, like, if you return the dog within two weeks, you get full refund of your adoption fee. Yeah. Other times it's completely waived. So um, some people will be really good about it and understanding, like, all right, well, thank you for realizing that's not a good fit and thank you for bringing the dog back. And other yeah. people will be like, that person is an idiot and I hate them and they're never allowed to adopt again. Yeah. So huge red flag. Yeah. That's a bummer. Do you find that rescues tend to dictate like your lifestyle once you own the dog? Like they try to influence that a lot. There are some rescues, uh, in shelters and organizations can be different. So, Mm -hmm. Rescues sometimes have the ability to be a little bit more picky because they know the dog the best. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, I worked with a rescue that was really lovely. um, And one of their requirements was that you had to have a fenced-in backyard. And people were furious about that. Mm -hmm. But the dog that I particularly fostered that needed a fenced-in backyard was such an escape risk that it wouldn't have been feasible to have that dog safely adopted out without a fence. Mm-hmm. It, just the leash, uh, its ability to go under the fences. And you have to think of all the variables that a person that's not experienced with that level of dog or that sure. escapism um, can be like. Okay. Um, and with, because um, I know that I've had, I mean, we have a couple really good organizations around here that we work with pretty frequently that I think is awesome. Um, 
because historically, I feel like as an overwhelming whole, rescues are pretty against most balance training. I'd say a large amount of them. Yes. At least in my experience. Yes. Um, which is has always been interesting to me <laughs> because I feel like our main goal would be to just put dogs in homes and keep them in homes, mm-hmm. you know, and if balance training is what accomplishes that, I feel like that would um, be great. But yeah, I feel like that would make the most sense um, with. So do you feel like when you're looking for a rescue, is it good to like dig into all of that and kind of ask their opinions on training styles and methods and that type of thing? Or do you feel yeah. like it's not really that yeah. ultimately that big of a deal? I would personally scan the website and maybe reach out to the contact person and ask, like, hey, I'm interested in getting a dog. Uh, what training methods do you recommend? What are you comfortable with in the ins and outs? And I feel like a clear level-headed rescue is going to be like, as long as the dog is in a good home and the training is done in a humane way, that they should have no problem with that. Yeah. If somebody right off the bat is going to make a judgment and be like, you can't have that dog because I know you're going to put a prong on her or e-collar on it. Yeah. That is to me, very immature, and it's limiting the dog's ability to find a home, which is why so many dogs are euthanized or end in really sad situations. And I would almost wonder if that skews, like, their read of the dog, mm-hmm. like, what they're able to tell you about the dog and their behavior. Yeah. Um, if them starting with a bias of, like, mm-hmm. not wanting to train holistically would, like, change their perception of the dog at all. Um with, because I know I had, I did have a client once, which I wondered, I wanted to get your opinion on this because I don't know the legality of it at all. And maybe you would. I had a client that had a dog from a, like a golden retriever specific rescue mm-hmm. and a, like had signed up for training. And when they called to get vaccine records from that rescue for training, they had mentioned like the type of training they were doing. And they, the rescue mentioned in their contract that they signed that I guess maybe this wasn't clearly explained or the, the owners didn't look it, it over very detailed. It says in there that if you do training with these tools that they can literally just come remove the dog from you, mm-hmm. your ownership. Can they really do that? Like if yeah. you sign a contract that says that, like they truly can. As long as it's a legally abiding contract, they can take the dog back from you. That's wild. And some people won't go that far because it's a lot of legal stuff. Yeah. But they certainly can. Uh, and that ha- does happen. I've heard of that happening. Um, we had a border train here years ago. And they said, please do not post anything of the dog. Because yeah. the rescue said that if we trained this way, that the dog would be removed. Wow. And they love this dog. Yeah. So it's so selfish to me when rescues or they're on their high horse about force-free training methods and they can't even begin to think if this person is doing it responsibly, do we really care that the dog is going yeah. through a, a training program? Wouldn't that yeah. be an incentive? Be like, good, I like that this dog is getting trained. Well, that was like when I adopted Maggot, my really old mm-hmm. rescue that I got. Um, literally no one had any interest in her. She'd been there a while. Nobody wanted her. And I had to lie about how I trained and who, what my affiliation was. I believe I even had to go as far as like somebody else also being present 
in take in adopting her because they kind of knew who I was at that point and how I trained because they wouldn't have even given her to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're just, you'd rather her die in a shelter at the age that she is than, mm-hmm. than go and live in a home with someone who clearly like loves her and cares about her just simply because of the way that I've trained my other dogs at that point. Um, yeah, that's kind of crazy. And, and, and even to go back to like breeders and that aspect of it, I, I think it's very important that with whatever breed you're looking into and who you're planning on working with, that you're also establishing very open, clear communication about your intentions with that dog. Um, especially with toy breeds like Chihuahuas, Pomeranians, things like that. It can be difficult to find uh, breeders that are open to balance training, um, at least in my experience. And so I was very thankful that I found one that had no issue with it and in fact encouraged it because she knows that chihuahuas are not just these dainty little fragile creatures. You know, they're very cool dogs that are pretty intense sometimes. Um, So don't think that, you know, you never want to get a dog under the premise of like, you know, feeling like you can't be honest. Yeah. And like to your point, like you said, one of your clients, the contract said like, yeah. They can't use balance training. I recently had a dog do a 10-session program with me, and in the paperwork they said the dog will never, ever be able to walk without a harness. It will never be able to be around other dogs. And they put all these limitations on this dog, and through training and utilizing um, clear and firm boundaries, this dog thrived. We got him off the harness immediately, um, and we're able to set clear boundaries with the pooling and the walking and the lunging and they hadn't looked back since and we got the dog with other dogs routinely in a setting that was controlled and the dog thrived so be careful when adopting a dog and kind of think twice you get your own feel for things if the rescue or shelter is like never do this never do that red flag to me yeah. um, and that doesn't mean like if they say no children yeah. <laughs> or no other dogs. Like, yeah. that's something to be aware of, but it's not, say, like, they're not the end-all and be-all opinion. Yeah. In my opinion, uh, most rescues tend to downplay issues. So if they're telling you there's an issue, really mm-hmm. take it seriously. <laughs> like, if they're willing to tell you, like, oh, this dog has issues with other dogs or, oh, this dog had issues with kids or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, then I would definitely take that seriously because... Or cats is a big one. Yes, yeah, cats, things like that. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that that is truly the dog's character. There could be a lot of variables at play mm-hmm. in those situations because I think, um, unfortunately, a lot of people in rescue don't have the ability to get the amount of like training that they should have working in that environment to know exactly how to handle dogs and their temperaments and all that kind of stuff um so there's a million variables that could come into play of like did they have the dogs meet on leash you know Mm -hmm. did they you know there's a ton of things so take it you know reasonably serious when they do say specific like temperament type of things I feel like with rescue dogs and you can ask about that too be like why did you feel that you marked this dog as has to live with other dogs why did you feel like this dog can never be walked without a harness Mm -hmm. and ask those important questions and dig a little bit more 
and you can see if that person's answer seems authentic or they're just kind of babbling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which can happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think also too, and again, there are some really, really great rescues out there. We work with a number of them that are fantastic, very transparent, very honest. Um, but be careful because there's a lot that aren't. Mm-hmm. And I personally, unfortunately, have had experiences with certain dogs being adopted out multiple times, being returned for bites, and it never being disclosed. Yeah. Ever. Um, it's very scary to me. Um, even to the extent where I actually had a consultation with a client with a dog they had adopted from this place. The dog had just bit somebody. Um, and then we, we met, they decided that this is not the lifestyle we wanted with a dog. <laughs> we don't have the skill set to handle a dog with this, these behaviors. So they returned the dog. And then a few months later, randomly, I do another consult. It's that same dog, new owners. Mm-hmm. The dog had bit somebody again, um, bit somebody on the face this time. And, um, and it was not a situation where the dog wasn't at fault. Like this was a dangerous dog Mm -hmm. and they had no knowledge that this dog had done it previously. They were not disclosed this information, nothing. Um, and that's very scary to me. And I think that that happens more than we're aware of. (laughs) I know there's been a lot of stories. Um, there was a, a, a number of stories I'd seen in the news recently of a dog that had, really extensive had had chased down and attacked like a male worker got instead of and did serious damage like irreparable damage um instead of deciding that it should be put down by the state they decided okay we're going to remove it from the owner because clearly the owner's incompetent but then we're just going to put it in a rescue this rescue like lobbied to take this dog in and then they adopted it out to an elderly woman yeah and he mauled yeah Like, it's just, it's so scary to me. And I think that, yes, rescuing a dog is a very noble, compassionate, amazing thing that somebody could do. But I think that you just have to be so careful because you don't know these dogs. You don't know these dogs. You don't know genetically what they're made up of. Um, They're just a ton of, they're just mixes at that point. And when you start combining these these bully breed mixes, you get some really, really odd <laughs> temperaments mm-hmm. um, and intensity levels. Um, and it's just, it can be very dangerous. I mean, most rescues at this point, I think are all pit mixes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very yeah. rare that you're gonna find other dogs yeah. in there. Number one was like pit mixes. And the only reason I rescued the dogs that I did is because I worked there and I got first priority yeah. when they came in and I snatched up the dogs mm-hmm. that I wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah. But most of my experience is all pit bulls or pit mixes, um, which is very sad, but mm-hmm. and there's a reason for that too, that people really <laughs> mishandle them. Um, they yeah. don't realize what they're getting into. Sometimes a genetic mess of a pit bull, it can be a nightmare. It can be devastating. Life I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's, and that I think is a natural, now we can lean into like puppy mills, backyard breeders, things like that. And that's the true issue here. And that's where, what's really causing all of those shelters to fill up, why we're having 
I mean, I would say in the last couple years, the amount of dog attacks and fatalities, it's like exponentially higher than I've, it's been in a very long time. And I think that's a very clear, I mean, that's, that's just indicative of how irresponsible the breeding has gotten at this point and how much misinformation is out there regarding just the potential danger of some of these breeds that we're interacting with. Um, dogs have the capability of killing you. Like <laughs> when you're dealing with a predator mm -hmm. and predatory instincts, um, like it can get really dicey very quickly if we're not doing it very responsibly. And unfortunately, there's a very high market. And, and I think it, there's a lot of variables to this. I think rescuing is difficult because a lot of them have very strict parameters. They're like, oh, this is Chi Chi. She hates men with beards. She mm -hmm. has to have 600 acres. Mm -hmm. um, you can never turn on your stove around her. You know what I mean? Like yeah. weird stuff like that. Um, so I feel like the restrictions and then also the help that is offered and the options you're given to rescue a dog are so high and then so minimal mm -hmm. that it turns people away from rescue. And then they look at their other options of breeders. And unless they're informed, they're going to look at this breeder who pay, or charges $3,500 for a really well-bred, great temperament, healthy dog. And then they're going to see this one, who's $600. And they're going to be like, oh, well, I'll just get the 600 dog. They can't be that much different. Like, what a steal. What a steal, wow. right? Um, and that's, that's, that's really what I think contributes to the huge problem. And so then they get this purebred dog who's a genetic mess. Um, and depending on the breed, could be very prone to aggression and things like that. And then they say, I can't do this. So then they just dump the dog in a shelter. Mm -hmm. And then the cycle just continues to repeat. Um, so I think the, the only thing that's really going to break this cycle is trying to get the information out there of like ethical, responsible breeders, mm -hmm. um, because we need to cut off the demand <laughs> for these backyard breeders who just breed for money, for looks, for fun, mm -hmm. for all of those different things and don't take it seriously about the genetics that they're putting in the world. Um, I mean, I, I interacted with someone who bred their pit bulls. Um, the, the father that they bred and had um, six puppies from um, had mauled somebody and ripped their ear off. Okay. And then they bred this dog. Yeah. They had six puppies. That father killed three of those puppies, uh, maimed a fourth to where it had a broken leg. And then that puppy had grown up and then that puppy attacked somebody else and did such severe damage to their leg that this child had to have two surgeries mm -hmm. to reconstruct it. Like this isn't, you can't trifle with this stuff. <laughs> like, it's not all how you raise them. No, it is not all how you raise them. Like it is such a, and, and that is the misinformation that gets people killed take the responsibility for understanding the breed that you're going to get so even if you get like a cute little pibble puppy and you're like he's gonna grow up and he's gonna love me and mm -hmm. we're gonna snuggle you're like that pibble puppy is gonna get pretty big yep. and genetically designed it's questionable yeah. you don't know what its genetics are gonna be yeah like when you get a dog that's that's 
from a certain lineage and you meet those parents and you meet those grandparents and you, you see their temperaments, it is so predictable what your dog is going to turn into. Mm-hmm. You know, you can predict it. Of course, there's always outliers. There's always the exceptions. But again, most of the time you're going to be the rule and what you get is going to be so predictable. When you go and you get a puppy from a shelter, you need to be ready <laughs> for whatever that dog is going to turn into. Yeah. Because you don't know. You can do everything right and still genetics are going to prevail and push through. It's like, like people can have wonderful, lovely childhoods and have loving, supporting parents, but mental health issues still can creep up on them and they can let that get in the way. And we have to think that dogs can suffer from mental health issues as well, mm-hmm. genetic issues. Mm-hmm. And we can't just be ignorant to thinking like, just because I raised it perfectly and I did everything right yeah. doesn't mean that you're going to have a perfect dog. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just say it. <laughs> Even a well-bred pit bull is animal aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like, it's in the breed description. You can look it up on the United Kennel Club. Like, it literally says animal aggression mm-hmm. in their temperament description. They're bred, quite literally bred to kill bulls. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're bred to... They, the way that we designed them is that we wanted the like bulldog tenacity and fierceness and, and, and fearlessness. And then we put the terrier in there for the hunt and kill. Mm-hmm. So you have a dog that is so powerful and, and intense and has the desire to fight, fight, fight with the intention of killing. You know, that's like their end goal when they get into that mode. And like, that is a, that is a, I mean, beautiful thing when it's used in a context that it should be and that it was intended for. But when you put that into a shelter, don't give it a proper upbringing of structure and boundaries and then plop it into someone's random home, doesn't have the skill set or the knowledge or anything and then they kill the neighbor's dog, or they maul their kid, or, they you know. They fights with the other dogs in the house, and then people are like, oh, shit. Yeah. Then my dog is acting like what it was bred to do. Yeah. So if you can have proper management, and you're a responsible owner, and you can recognize that your dog is like that, and mm-hmm. we can take precautions to avoid those situations, or yep. help train or communicate with our dogs we have such a better basis, more success rates. Oh, for sure. And I think it's I think it's important too to start recognizing that aggressive traits in dogs are not inherently bad. Like there are dogs that are we have bred and have intended to use aggression for a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have Dutch shepherds and Malinois and German shepherds we've bred them with the intention of tapping into aggression to accomplish specific goals. Yeah. You know, we have bred corsos and and rotties and and those things for being good defensive dogs. You know, they use aggression for a purpose. When livestock guardian dogs, those are some of the most badass dogs you're ever going to meet. What was that one recent one? It was a big Pyrenees that killed like seven coyotes or something. Like crazy but like we have we have designed dogs and utilized aggression to benefit us in certain ways and so just because a dog displays aggression doesn't inherently make that a bad behavior or make it in you know a bad dog 
it's just about being responsible with it. You know, like knowing your dog. Exactly. Knowing your dog, taking the proper precautions. If you have a, a pit bull, maybe don't take it to a dog park. <laughs> um, but again, there's exceptions to every rule. Mm-hmm. I've met some like completely harmless pitties in my life. Um, but again, there's still genetics in there that are at play as there are with any dog, you know? Yeah. My favorite line, like people will throw at me all the time. They're like, I've never met an aggressive pity, but put me around an aggressive chihuahua and I'm terrified. I'm like, okay. Aggression is not in a chihuahua's breed description. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. There's an, I own a Dutch Shepherd that they're, they can be very aggressive dogs. That's kind mm-hmm. of what the whole point of having them. So like, I'm not offended if someone says I have an aggressive dog. I have one. I don't really care. But like chihuahuas are not aggressive because they have a predisposition to mm-hmm. it. They're it's aggressive because treatment. bad genetics <laughs> or how, how you are treating them and interacting with them. Um, the little dog conversation, I feel like, is a whole nother rabbit hole to go down on. But, yeah, I think it is it is interesting how the people who are like, don't bully my breed, hate chihuahuas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting because I literally have chihuahuas from dumpsters. Like, I have dumpster dogs. <laughs> and, you know what? <laughs> dumpster chihuahuas. I love dumpster dogs. You do. So much. You love all of your dumpster dogs. And are they a little fucked up? Yes. (laughs) But accepting that and understanding how to work with them Mm -hmm. has been a huge changing point in my life. Just because you're little doesn't mean it's an excuse to be an asshole. Yes. Um, Yes. Well, and recognizing like limitations within a dog when there are some. mm -hmm. You know, like Lumos, my shepherd, I would never take him to a dog park and expect it to be okay. Mm-mm. Ever. I would never take him to a playground and let him run amok with children and expect it to be okay. Because it won't. So it just comes back to don't get a dog that has specific propensity for certain behaviors and then try to force it to live a lifestyle that's just not conducive to that. It can be pretty inhumane too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you get a dog who who wants to live a certain way and would be fulfilled living a certain way, and then we spend all of our time suppressing and suppressing and suppressing Mm -hmm. a behavior that isn't necessarily wrong, but contextually doesn't fit with your life. And that's just not fair to the dog, ultimately, you know, or to you, because that's going to be super frustrating. Yeah, when people get like super high drive, like we've I've had countless people get like pointers, and mm-hmm. then they live in the city of Cleveland. They're like, "Why is this dog psychotic?" Yeah, <laughs> like it's literally bred to run in fields and kill things and hunt and yeah, yes. I think it, it's also good as we're wrapping up here to say, no matter where you get your dog from, you should do your research, mm-hmm. um, and you should be prepared. Yes. So already having a crate and supplies needed and contacting whoever you feel is a good support system for you Mm -hmm. training-wise. Do some research on training methods. Look at company reviews because that's going to tell you what the clients feel and their Mm -hmm. experience. Yep. Um, And take things slow, especially if you adopt a dog that is unknown to you. Don't take it to your family gathering the next day. 
Um, yeah. yeah, don't don't do stuff like that. It, it assume that you know this dog has the the potential to be very dangerous, and just make sure that you're taking precautions and you're trying to make things as safe as you possibly can, especially if you have children. Yes, and especially it, if you have children. Everything needs to go super slow, and when I say slow, I don't mean three weeks. I mean sometimes dogs' adjustment and training lifestyle take up two years. Yes. Uh, a year to really get a good routine down and have the dog be fully adjusted. Mm-hmm. I mean, we shouldn't be working on things for years and years and years. Well, and no, but they period. can they can still be, like, showing you who they are Especially, over yeah. that period of time. Or we get all the time, like, my dog was perfect until they hit two. Yeah, Like, two is the magic number. Or yeah. Or yeah. they're like, uh, I'm going through puberty. Uh-huh. Well, that's like, even with Snoop, like, my chihuahua... He would just let dogs, like, beat him up, and he never stood up for himself. And then he's turning two recently, and I'd say just in the last, like, three to four months, like, he's finally standing up for himself. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to take your shit anymore. Exactly. So who they are when they're young, don't be fooled. It's not indicative of who they could be when they get older because as they mature, they can change a lot. Yes. So your little pit bull puppy or shepherd puppy or whatever that you got from unknown genetics could be fine, and then they hit 8 to 12 months old, and they can instantly change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it can happen very quickly. Um, so just be mindful of stuff like that, and, and try to be as safe as you possibly can. Um, like you said, do a lot of research. Yeah, and find a dog that you feel like you have a good connection with, and that you're willing to work with, because it's a beautiful thing to own a dog. Yes. And we all love them very, yes. very much. Um, but it does take work, and you're going to have to expect to put a lot of work into it. It's not a mm-hmm. back burner thing we can just fit into our lives. Mm-mm. Don't give dogs as gifts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll end it there. The, the worst way to acquire a dog, if it's a gift. A Christmas puppy. <laughs> you don't want that. Unless it's something previously talked about, yes. and you're already prepared and you're ready for it, and it's just a fun little surprise. Um, but, yeah, don't, don't do things like that. Um, cool. Well, thanks for joining us today and chatting with us about these topics. Um, Bridget, anything else? No, do your research, get a dog you love, um, and then Mm -hmm. come see us if you have any issues with that dog that you love, because we We would love love to to help help you. We're great at helping.